I invite you to join me in Luke 1, if you're not there already. Luke chapter 1. So we continue our growing anticipation of Christmas, working our way towards that glorious day. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening we do marvel that he who was in the manger, that he who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, that he who rose again victorious, that he who did all of this for us, that truly he was the Lord, the King of glory, who died for me. Heavenly Father, may these truths never grow old to us. May we never get over the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of the Incarnation, the wonder of your love for us as displayed in Jesus Christ, even as we will see this evening in our passage. Lord, as we turn our attention to Luke 1, our desire is that you would work in our hearts through your word. I pray that you would give me boldness to proclaim the word of God with clarity, with authority, that you may accomplish your purpose and that your name may be lifted high. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been a busy weekend. Yesterday, Pam and David had a beautiful wedding here at the church, if you were able to come and to participate in that. And, uh, and I had the privilege of meeting David's family, and I enjoyed getting to know them. I really enjoyed David's southern roots. They had sweet tea at the um, rehearsal dinner. It was delicious. But I had a uniquely neat connection with David's grandparents. It was not just that they were great conversationalists, but the more we talked, I came to realize I, I had known that they were from Greenville, South Carolina. They lived down there. But what I came to understand as I talked to them more was not only were they from my hometown, but that I grew up going to the same church that they go to, that they went to. They don't, they don't go there anymore. They now go to another church with a friend of mine. But the church I grew up in, they were in that church the whole time I was there. And uh, I never made those connections. And uh, it, was, it was a church, it was one of those churches where if you sit over here, you don't know the people who sit over here. You meet each other. Hey, welcome. What's your name? I've been going to church here for 40 years. <laughs> but, um, but it was a neat connection. I really enjoyed talking to them about shared experiences and, and people that we both knew. They know my parents. Many of the other same people that, that I knew, that I grew up around, they know. The pastor that I grew up under, that I respect so much, they too respect and have sat under his ministry. Not only that, I discovered that one of Pam's attendants had transferred from Faith to Bob Jones, and I had a good time talking to her too, making connections, talking about my hometown. In fact, she goes to church at the church that 
my brother's father-in-law pastors. Just all kinds of connections. And I'll admit, I'm a bit nostalgic. I, uh, I really enjoy taking opportunities to talk to people who have the same experiences as I do, who have been the same places that I love. There's comfort and sometimes excitement in shared experiences, is there not? You guys probably know that yourselves. Talking to someone back from your hometown or someone who's been there, there's an excitement there, right? They, they know some of the things that I love. We've got the shared experience, the shared love. This evening we turn our attention to a shared experience on a whole other level. It's a similar experience between Mary and Elizabeth. This morning we marveled with Zachariah and Elizabeth at God's grace on both a national level and a personal level. This evening we'll rejoice with both Elizabeth and Mary at the good news that they have received and the growing evidence of God's goodness inside of them. This evening as we work our way through this passage quickly, there's a lot in here. We could spend a lot of time here. Uh, but we've got a lot to do this evening, so we're going we're gonna to try and, and hurry along. But we'll see a message, a journey, and a song. First thing we see in verses 26 to 38 is a message. In verse 26, Gabriel once again uh, sh- shows up. Or uh, where we're introduced to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God once again to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Who's he sent to this time? Verse 27 tells us, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Right away, that catches our attention, does it not? Where have we heard this term of a virgin before when it comes around this whole idea of a coming Messiah? Is that not the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14? With this one, Emmanuel would come from a virgin. She's a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph. And not only is she a virgin, but this man to whom she is betrothed, he's of the house of David. The virgin's name is Mary. I mean, right here at this very beginning, as we're introduced to these, these characters, to Mary and to Joseph, Already we see the fulfillment of these prophecies that we walked through last week. These prophecies that so many have looked forward to for so many years. Already in just the first two verses we have the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. The fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7 verses 10-16. to The Davidic covenant, a promise that a king is coming. The fascinating thing that we see right here, just these first two verses, is not only that God fulfills his promises, but it's that God fulfills his promises down to every detail. God has not forgotten even the details of the promises that he has made. He has not forgotten, not just that he promised to send a king, but that he promised to send a king through a virgin. Every detail our faithful God will keep, for he is a faithful God. So what is Gabriel's mission? Gabriel comes to Mary. 
And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Gabriel has another mission, another message of good news to deliver. And what is Gabriel's message as we see in verses 28 to 38? Well, Mary responds like Zechariah did this morning. In fact, that's what you see regularly in scriptures. When an angel shows up, people respond in fear. Gabriel comforts Mary. He calms her fear. He refers to her in this passage as a highly favored one, as one who is blessed among women, and as one who has found favor with God. It's important for us to pause here and to note that Mary is a recipient of God's grace. We'll see this even in a few verses in Mary's Magnificat in her song in verses 46 to 56. In that passage, Mary marvels at God's grace to her, recognizing that she is so undeserving. You see, what makes Mary special in this passage, it's not her own uniqueness or anything about her. What makes Mary special is the uniqueness of God's grace poured out on her. Her uniqueness is not in Mary itself, it's in the grace of God. Elizabeth will recognize that as we get to that passage in just a few seconds as as Mary visits Elizabeth. Mary is a unique recipient of the grace of God. And as Gabriel goes on to explain to Mary, the unique grace of God that is poured out to Mary here is the privilege of bearing Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Well, look what he says, verse 28. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She saw him, she was troubled, and saying, considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall, and, and, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In case you didn't catch on, what makes this Jesus so special is that this Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Israel's longing hopes. He is great Indeed, for he is Emmanuel, as was promised in Isaiah 7.14. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah that we've been longing for since Genesis 49. He is David's great son, as promised in 2 Samuel 7, verses 10 to 16. He is Isaiah's great king that we see in Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. This is the one by whom it was promised that the head of the serpent would be crushed. This is the one that we've been longing for. What a privilege Mary has that God has chosen her. Interesting question arises. 
in verse 34. Look at Mary's response. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. The first question that pops into my mind is, why is Mary not rebuked like Zechariah in Luke 1, verses 19 to 20? Right, Zechariah in that passage, as God says, or as Gabriel tells him, this will happen, your wife will give birth, your prayers have been answered. And how does Zechariah respond? How am I to know this is going to happen, right? Give me a sign. I'm, we're, we're way beyond that point. Give me a sign. Mary here also asks a question. How can this be? I've not known a man. Based on the lack of a rebuke by Gabriel here, I think it's pretty safe to assume, even though it may not be fully evident in the text itself, that there's a difference in here going on. We must assume here that Mary's question is grounded in wonder rather than in doubt. Mary is amazed at what God is doing and likely curious rather than concerned at limitations. She's more curious than she is questioning. How will this happen, not how could God do this? Gabriel explains to her, this will be a work of God. The Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary she will, as she, and she will conceive. I mentioned this last week as we looked at the passage in the Old Testament talking about the promise that Emmanuel would come through a virgin. Don't overlook the significance of the virgin birth. It's more than just a curiosity. It's not just something unique or different that God threw in there. The virgin birth is theologically necessary. It is both Christologically and soteriologically significant. It testifies to the deity of Jesus Christ and to his sinlessness. Without the virgin birth, these things are not possible. It's not a mere curiosity. This is a theological statement of who this is. That's why in that same passage where it says that uh, this will be uh, born of a virgin, in that same passage it introduces his name as Emmanuel. The virgin birth and the fact that this is God with us are uniquely, theologically tied together. Gabriel ends this phenomenal section as he introduces this uh, good news to Mary. He informs Mary of Elizabeth's conception as well. He uses it to encourage Mary in her faith. This has happened with Elizabeth as well, and this is what this testifies to, that with God, nothing is impossible. What a statement. We know that this is true, do we not? And yet how comforting to this young virgin's heart. You can imagine the fear that is starting to, to sink in, even as she, she hears what Gabriel is saying, and obviously she accepts it without doubting. But you have to imagine that already her mind is starting to question what this is going to mean for her. 
How am I going to explain this to my parents, to Joseph? What are the consequences if they don't believe me as far as the law goes? But Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. Just like with Elizabeth, as we saw this morning, God is answering not only these big national prayers, but he's also at work individually. We see that here with Mary as well. Mary, God knows. God knows what he is doing. And nothing is impossible with God. I mean, what a testimony for us even today. Even in your own life, I don't know the details of everything that you are facing, but this I do know, that with God, nothing is impossible. And that with God, all things, because nothing is impossible, all things work together for our good and for his glory. With God, nothing will be impossible. Note Mary's response. After all of this, in Luke 1, 38, Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Again, she knows what lies ahead. The difficulty that she will face as a pregnant virgin, and yet she accepts and fully embraces the road that the Lord has led her to. Let it be so. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. I know there's going to be some difficult times ahead, but let it be so. What an example to us of a young girl. What faith. In the midst of, of something that, that, yes, is a great honor, and yet with that honor comes great fear and uncertainty. And yet with God, nothing is impossible. So let it be so. Let it be so. Again, if only that were the prayer of all of our hearts. If we had the faith of this young virgin mother, that whatever the Lord brings, therefore knowing that our God is good and that with him nothing is impossible, we with Mary could say, let it be so. As Gabriel leaves, in Luke 1, 39-45, Mary now goes on a journey. There's a change of scenery as Mary leaves to go to visit her relative Elizabeth. It makes sense, does it not? Though no one else will understand, Mary knows that Elizabeth will understand. There is comfort in this shared experience. Similar experience. In fact, we see in this passage that as Mary greets Elizabeth, 
John, for the very first time ever, testifies to Jesus Christ. Even in the womb, John is fulfilling his calling. He leaps in his mother's womb as he hears the greeting of Mary. This is no normal baby movement that, that Elizabeth is just like, ooh, I think he said hello. I mean, this is clear. This is obvious. John is testifying. This is the Son of God who has come. We're told in Luke 1.15 that John is filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. And here he responds to Jesus, the Son of God. I mean, even this little response in the womb, it is significant. It shows Jesus' elevated status even over John at this early stage. Yes, John is great, as we saw this morning, and as Jesus will testify to himself during his ministry, but Jesus is greater. Even John recognizes that here in his mother's womb. Elizabeth, too, now spirit-empowered as she is filled with the spirit, as we're told. In verses 42 to 45, she rejoices in a spirit-empowered proclamation. She spoke out with a loud voice, said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Again, what sets Mary apart is not Mary herself. It is the one that she carries. It is the unique grace of God placed upon her. It's not just Mary. It is Mary who's carrying my Lord. That title that Elizabeth uses there, it's a special Christological title for the one in Mary's room, recognizing him as the one for whom Israel has been waited. This is the one, even as we see in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand. That's who this is. This is the one that John, in the power of Elijah, as Malachi prophesied in Malachi 4, this is the one that John will spend the rest of his life testifying to, preparing the way for, and he starts right here in the womb. How sweet and precious these weeks, months, however long it was that they were together, how, how precious this time must have been. As Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah, as they fellowship together, marveling at the grace of God. In fact, Mary moved out of Elizabeth's song of spirit-empowered proclamation. Elizabeth, or Mary responds in a song as well. A song of praise. Her, her soul erupts as it were. And here she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
We understand the, the concept of magnification, do we not? A magnifying glass, you know that when you were a kid, you, you put it over something, it makes it bigger. I want to draw your attention to God. I want to make him big for you. I want to magnify. I want to proclaim to the world what I know to be true. Truly Mary does that in this song. Significantly, Mary goes on to note that this one that she carries, this is God, my Savior. The focus of the majority of Mary's song is on Israel's hope wrapped up in her, in her womb. But here at the beginning, in these first few verses, verses 46 to 49, she really focuses on her personal hope. I, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. You see the, the humble awe that has overtaken Mary. She stands in awe that God and his grace would choose me. He's regarded my lowly state. Who am I? Mary knows her unworthiness. She knows that there is nothing attractive about her that would call God's attention or demand his favor. And yet she rejoices in God's grace that he has chosen me. Me. One who needs a savior. Is that not your song as well, brothers and sisters? Everyone who's ever placed their faith in Christ alone proclaims with Mary, Who am I? And yet, by the grace of God, we rejoice with Mary. Who am I? And that Jesus came for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus rose for me. Jesus ascended on high and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is pleading for me. The least of all of the saints, the most unworthy. But praise the Lord that he has regarded the state of his servant. Truly, as Mary says, he who is mighty has done a great thing for me. In verses 50 to 56, Mary broadens it out. She goes on to rejoice in what this coming of this child means, not just for her, but for Israel, for the world. She recognizes God's promises. She expects him to fulfill every single one. And you'll note as you work your way through there that Mary's song of national hope, it's not one of Israel's strength or Israel's faithfulness. 
It's a song of God's mercy and grace to Israel, to Mary, and to all who believe. There's a lot in this passage, and we've, we've rushed through it. We could spend a whole Christmas season just on what we've seen this evening. And we have. Last year, we walked through Mary's song together. But Mary, like Elizabeth this morning, is in awe of the God who sees her. The God who knows her. The God who loves her. The God who has chosen her. The God who has moved to save her. just a few moments we're going to come to this table and we're going to proclaim these same truths to one another like Mary, like Mary as we come to this table we are recognizing that there is nothing beautiful inside of me <clears throat> there is nothing inside of me that moved God to save me or to choose me or to do anything for me there is no merit of my own As we come to this table, we come bold, boldly, yet humbly, in Christ alone. We come in a sure hope, with a thankful heart, just like Mary proclaiming, praise the Lord that he has regarded the state of his servant. Truly God has done great things for me. We come to this table in awe. We come to this table in rejoicing. We come to this table to remember. We come to this table to proclaim to one another. We come to this table to magnify the Lord together. To look back to the cross. To testify of our hope. To look forward to the one who is coming again. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So this evening, as we come to this table, we rejoice together, we testify to each other, and we have hope together in Christ alone. As we do transition, we're going to sing a song that helps to focus our hearts, that helps to move us to this table, Song, Behold the Lamb.